podcast ain't played nobody. Um, this is the college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, Robot Bill Connolly, it's uh, probably getting time to start talking about a playoff race. It's probably Statesboro, Georgia, in a high scoring game, which featured four lead changes. Mexico State used a pair of critical scores in the fourth quarter to take down Georgia Southern 35-27 to Saturday night at Allen E. Paulson Stadium. After the key conference win for the Aggies, head coach Doug Martin said, this is a huge win for our program. Uh, having a few notable injuries coming in and being on our third straight road game was tough. I bet it was. Uh, these guys have tremendous heart and powered through with a really impressive victory. Two minutes left, a touchdown pass from Tyler Rogers to Jaleel Scott gave the Aggies the win, and per the S&P Plus win projections, they now have a 73% chance of getting to 6-6. Six and six. They have a 9% chance of winning out, getting to 8-4, and four, and damn near maybe winning the Sun Belt. I swear to God. Boom. Are you done? Um, I mean, I could go into how great Tyler Rogers is on passing downs and, and, you know, Larry Rose third, the third, how I'm excited for him, but I guess I'll stop. At some point I'm going to have to lean into this meme of yours because it does look like they're actually a good football team. I mean, (laughs) relatively speaking, yes, but New Mexico State in a bowl. That's really all I'm asking for from this college football postseason. I did have them pegged to die an uglier death than Idaho when this whole retraction thing started. So, I mean, hats off to them. Yeah, I mean they're still, still, still they're sticking around. They're, they're holding every out. week, but yeah, they're holding out for Conference USA, baby. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Bill, did you get that out of your system? No, I think so. We'll see. It might come back later. We'll we'll we'll. we'll okay, cool. Well, let me know if you get backed up. This is podcasting. Play nobody's college football marriage of numbers and words. I'm gonna rattle through this before I get screamed at again. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. I do journalism sometimes, like kind of kind of whatever. Um, that is a robot, Bill Connolly. He's the inventor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the author of multiple books. He is also kind of in my territory, Bill. Uh, <laughs> explain yourself. You have a story <clears throat> that is actually going to spawn another story that's going to be up. Yes. Depending on when you hear this, we're recording Tuesday. I have to be on. I have to be with a, a staff on Wednesday, so we're recording on Tuesday. Um, Bill, in the podcast timeline, when will people see your feature on Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State? Roughly. I believe if it is not up at the time you're hearing this, it will be up very soon. The goal is to have uh, the main how Mike Gundy uh, did what he did at Oklahoma State. That will be up probably sometime Wednesday okay. morning. Uh, if you scroll to the very bottom of this piece, you'll find a Q&A, a kind of an extended Q&A with, with fun things like him calling people shitty parents, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then also I took part of the Q and a because I eat the whole damn cow. I took part of the Q and a and spun it off into another piece that'll come out either later this week or early next What's week. That piece? So you've got all the Gundy, you got all the Gundy you could possibly want. And this is, I, I am an, intruding on your territory, but let's face it with the, with the Oklahoma city thing I did last week. I just, I'm just trying to own Oklahoma right now. You can't touch my territory in Oklahoma. You get the other four. The only thing states. dumber would be someone making a, Entire career off what happens in Mississippi. So what can I say about it? Um, what? Uh, look, man, you got to work the PR. We talked about this when you were writing the book. Okay. Yeah. What's the second story about? 
The second story is going to be, I love, well, I, I've, I've learned that coaches really like talking about where they think football is going. And since Mike Gundy is, is and will always be an offensive coach, we talked a little bit about the run-pass option and the future of offense. So then I spun around, talked to our friend Chris Brown from Smart Football as well, uh, and kind of pat- patched together a, a, a semi-loose piece about where the run-pass option can go, uh, where offenses can go, and all that. So I think it's over, Bill. I think... I think the war is won because I had to interview Bud Foster for a hot minute about something that's not related to Virginia Tech. It'll make sense later this week when the content goes up. But he basically said, Bud Foster, like if you had to create a defensive coordinator in a lab, you would get Bud Foster <laughs> and then maybe maybe Brent Venables, depending on how much like how much testosterone you put in the machine. Um, he basically said, well, the metric now is really points allowed. People have, I think... In the in the defensiveest corners of the world, people have given up and just said, "You know what? Let's create some turnovers. If they drive seventy five yards on us, let's just not let them score." So when you trace that backwards, you end up with a mulleted man who doesn't wear a shirt that often. <laughs> yeah, this was. I, I appreciate Mike Gundy setting up this piece by taking his shirt off at a pep rally and then posting like I think it was nine gains of forty plus yards last week against Baylor. Uh, more than like something like 10 teams in FBS have had all season. So yeah, they set that up nicely. They were really excited. We'll say they were really excited about this piece coming out and they wanted to put on a good face for it. But what you said about turnovers is right. I mean, I, that was part of what I talked to Gundy about. He said there, when he, you know, he, he dumped Bill Young a few years ago, he brought in, or he didn't bring in uh, Glenn Spencer. He promoted Glenn Spencer and their entire goal was, Here's what football is. How do you make stops? You force turnovers. And basically, you know, you get 14 possessions in a game. They want to put you behind schedule on three, four, five of them. They want to close out. They want to force a turnover on a sack or a third and long kind of situation. Uh, And they want to basically break your serve a couple times because they think they can score a heck of a lot more than you do. And it turns out most of the time they're right. Oklahoma born writer writing about an Oklahoma offensive coach statistics and got a tennis reference in here. It is peak Bill C. I mean, Go. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to stand back and let you shine. Um, <laughs> so you went to, when were you in Stillwater? It was two weeks ago, right? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you talked with them for a while. At what point do you feel like if it happened at all, he wasn't the character that he's become because we all kind of noticed this. Those of us who do more of like the, the media day circuit and the, um, you know, just guys who visit campus a lot. Gundy became this iteration of himself like two years ago. It was two years ago at big 12 media day. He shows up with a little bit of the Kentucky waterfall going on. We all kind of laughed about it, whatever. And really since then he's been a much, I don't know about outwardly happier person, but he seems to be in on the joke. Whereas, I mean, there were a lot of years where I would interview him after a game or do a conference call or go to one of those media events. And like, he was a tight ass, you know, he was a very frustrated individual. Um, What the hell changed? (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's a fair question. I think part of it was, I, I mean, I don't even really know. I think he just, he, he definitely has relaxed. He seems to have at some point, maybe it just had to do like the whole mullet story about how his son, one of his sons didn't really like it. So he kept doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the reaction to that was kind of what triggered this whole, like, why am I pretending? Why am I not just being myself at all times? Uh, kind of moments. Maybe it was something like that. He's always had this in him though. Cause I mean, 
you know, he, he had his feet up on the desk within like two minutes of the interview starting. He, he is very relaxed with who he is. Uh, maybe in a game situation, it's a little different. Like, you know, this wasn't a post game situation. Now, granted, it was like three days after they lost to TCU. Uh, but by that point he had kind of loosened up a little bit. At one point he said he lives in the real world. He understands how wins and losses works, but when OSU loses, he feels bad for his sons because they're sad basically. Um, and so, I mean, I, I do think the fact that he's gotten a contract extension, that they had that tension for a couple of years about how that was all going to work out. I think they, you know, they've, they've moved past that. You know, he's kind of turned into a professor with tenure at this point. Uh, And that in college football, I I think college football is very much the better for that. Not a lot of guys get to a tenure position either and stay and not only stay as relevant as they were to earn it, but get better. I mean, arguably, the man is running the best version of his program ever in these last couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, 2011 is still the standard, but they've hit, they've they've come really close to 2011 again these last couple of years. Yeah, the defense isn't yeah. quite as good. They're still trying to figure that out. Um, but aside from the TCU game where they, you know, they had two linemen hurt, TCU was able to stuff the run a little bit more than anybody else has. Uh, aside from that moment, they've been untouchable. We'll see what Texas can do this weekend. Texas has a very good defense, or a good defense at least. I don't know about very good. Um but they've got a pretty good defense and they might be able to do some damage there. But OSU is fully weaponized here and they've done a really nice job of getting ahead of the trends. One of the things that I found interesting that I hadn't really reflected on a little bit, and you can hear a little bit of this in the Dave Hunziker interview in that um, great sports city thing I did on that. I posted last Friday about Oklahoma. Um, first couple of years, uh, first five years, really, you know, he's a Pat Jones guy. He, he handed to Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas a lot when he was the quarterback at OSU. He's always had a, we're going to run the ball mode like that. That's always been his thing. He's always wanted to run the ball really well. Uh, and so, you know, they had a breakthrough with Kendall Hunter, Kendall Hunter in 08, uh, they, but then in 09, the offense slumped. I think Hunter was hurt. Zach Robinson was hurt. Des Bryant was suspended. All the pieces that were supposed to make them a top 10 team kind of fell apart. And he stepped back and started to realize, I think we're behind the times here. So that's when he brings Holgorsen in and really starts to try to marry the air raid with a little bit more of a Pat Jonesy kind of run attack kind of approach. Um, and I mean, they were at the forefront of like the package plays, which were kind of the, the predecessor to the RPOs. He was, they were doing that like crazy in 2011. And then they were among the first to really, really dive into the RPO concept. And, um, and I mean, that's where they are now. And a lot of college footballs obviously followed it. Did you find him to be, uh, at peace with kind of who he is now? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, that was. When I talked to Mike Yersich, their offensive coordinator, a little bit too, he'll be, he has a couple of quotes in the future of offense piece, but he has one quote in this piece that you'll read right up top talking about, I basically asked him, you know, you're from Pennsylvania. You coached in like his entire career has been in like Pennsylvania and Indiana. And then he comes to Oklahoma. He comes to small town, Oklahoma. And I said, what were kind of your first, Holy crap! I'm in Oklahoma, and I'm I'm my boss is a is an unrepentant Okie. What were your kind of first moments in that regard? He said, like at one point, like one of the assistant coaches, <clears throat> he knew it was different because like one of the assistant coaches, their kid was sick. They had to come to the office for a little while. While he was making too much noise in the background, so like he just they just gave him a seat at the table during a coach's meeting, and he just sat and the, the kid just sat there and like scribbled on notes and stuff while they were talking. And like kids are welcome. At uh, one point, he brings in a straight like a dog that he had adopted pr- previously, and he had already trained it completely. And he said at one point he brought in a coyote trap, 
And the way you uh, described it, it was, uh, it basically, it whirls around. It has like a squirrel's tail on it. It whips around. And the way he described the noise was it made the sound of a bunny dying. Uh, it's the worst effing sound you could ever hear. That was the Yurisich quote. So that and him wearing camo or coming in with his boots or coming straight from hunting into the office, uh, he got a really pretty quick taste of what it's like to be, uh, to, to be, uh, to have Mike Gundy as your boss. All right. What was your, uh, now that you have the little taste of the blood in your mouth, are you all about this coach access life now? I mean, it was cut, you know, Traveling during the season, I was impressed I got any time during the season. That was that was a, a, a rarity. But, yeah, I mean, I've spent behind the scenes, too. Like, I've spent the last year or so, or so really trying to, to, to recalibrate a lot of what I think from a stat perspective, uh, you know, tw- tweak it to, to where it's a, a very reflective of the coaching profession. And I think it's been kind of – it's been really, really interesting. Part of that is trying to go more into the RPO talk and all that and really trying to get the innovation side of things. But it's been – uh, I mean, it's enlightening coaches, uh, coaches, among other things, coaches always say stats are for losers. They don't really mind talking about it. If you dress it up the right way, um, and talk about it, about it, efficiency and innovation and all these things. And it was, it was pretty fun. You're starting to think some of that's going to die off pretty quickly though. The whole stats are stats are for losers crowd. I mean, you and I, like we talk based on coaches we both know, or one of us knows, like I think most good coaches right now are paying attention to stats. Some of them, a lot of them are paying attention to your stats. I I mean, I think this whole like allergy to math and well, quantifying something is going away. The thing that people, um, when they say stats are for losers, it's like I've always said, it's because in a, in a media gathering, they're asked why, you know, you're a hundred, you're hundred eighteenth in pass yards uh, allowed. Why is your pass defense so bad? Uh, they have no use for that. Um, but as far as it, as it pertains to uh, like accurately evaluating what they do well and poorly or what their opponent does well and poorly, then, I mean, they're, they're, the coaches have always been amazingly analytical because they've had to be breaking down tendencies and, and strengths and weaknesses and all that for years. They just don't call it that, uh, they call it coaching. And so it's really just about kind of getting on the same page, uh, and this is my last job before I had this full time was basically uh, being as a as a go between between doctors in a med school and the tech staff that was building their stuff for them um, because they didn't speak each other's language. I had to translate one for the other. So this is my moment, man. I'm ready for this moment. What, if anything, has shocked you about what they are paying attention to? Hmm. Didn't have to be Gundy specifically, but I just I know you spent a lot of time with him. But like we've had you out and about a little bit. What what is jumping <laughs> out at you? Well, I think I do think. Um, well, number one, I think that they are willing, f- from an analytical standpoint, from an analytics standpoint, I think they're willing to be led down certain roads once they can kind of. I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it. Once they can kind of uh, justify that it's 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 seeing the right things, that it's not just saying, "Hey, your running back's bad." you know, or, or something like that. Um, once they see that things are, are layered and interesting and, and it, that it can really speed up their evaluation process a little bit, I think they're, they've been very open, um, you know, trying to make myself available to coaches just to kind of answer questions and things uh, has been kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they really do think a lot about 
where to go next. Uh, at, at least Gundy does. Not not everybody does, but Gundy does. Some others that I've talked to are, uh, they do try to keep that in mind and look at the national picture a little bit instead of, you know, my, our next opponent blitzes, you know, 68% of the time on third and 10. Uh, they're try, they, they do take a broader look at things. And part of that is because they're in the freaking office 20 hours a day. Um, and, and throughout the off season, they're only actually coaching games four months out of the year. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a pretty... Uh, it, it's a pretty interesting world, I'll say that. That's one of the weird things people don't realize. You don't get a lot of time with the kids, even now with the the way they've changed the restrictions. You no, the don't... way coach, the strength and conditioning coach is like that's the one thing I've definitely picked up on. He is like the glue of the program because yeah. he's the one who sees them more than anybody else. Yeah, oh, he's the other parent for sure. If the head coach right. is sort of the, the paterfamilias, then he's the other parent without a doubt. I mean, but you still so you don't see the kids. You see them more now, but you don't still you really don't see them a ton, especially compared to the way the NFL structured. And even in the week, you don't. I mean, I've done however many embeds now on game weeks. You don't really see the kids a lot. I think that people would be shocked at like, you know, you get up, go to your, go about your day. Most people start a meeting at seven. Then you usually break off offense, defense, or, or, or you know, even more granular situational special teams recruiting meeting. You meet, 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 meet lunch. You might have one or two kids come in to look at something specifically, right? Then there might be another meeting for an install. Then you go practice. You see the kids then. Um, and then before or after, depending on, the, uh, on what you run or however you like to do things, you have, like, one meeting with them. You might have an offensive meeting, and then you go break into positions. But, like, it's a quick meeting. I'm talking, like, 20, 30 minutes. It's not what people think it is. So... It's funny that you mentioned this, that everyone starts looking at gamesmanship and trending because in the off season, there's, you're still in the office all the time. Right. If you're not recruiting, you're still hanging out. Like there's just, you got to figure out something to do. Yeah. And I think that's when you think about the college to pro from a coaching perspective, college to pro or pro, or especially pro to college, um, you know, you think back to like the Bill Callahan types that were used to getting X amount of exposure with players and being able to do really intricate things. And then you go here and it's all broad strokes. Uh, you can't like it's really, really hard to get too granular with a game plan, with what you teach a kid, with anything, because you just don't get around them all that much. Yeah, especially with game plans, especially with terminology. We talked about it last year when at like LSU had the coaching change. Uh, there's just not a lot of things you can do to adjust wholesale, especially mm-hmm. in the season. It's hard enough to install something in the off season. Yeah, I mean, Moorhead at Penn State talked about like we're gonna get X amount of the book in this year, this this cycle, you know. So that's what that's you heard me talk about it this off season. Like they were that good with only a portion of the actual book because they didn't want to overwhelm the kids. So, all right, Bill, taking my spot. I see. Um, I'm going to go on the road this week so as you listen to this i'm on the road you have actually i think you've talked to the kenny and Matanola more than i have as far as about what they're doing um of course in great godfrey timing they did lose last week um it's their first <laughs> loss of the year at memphis but they're home against ucf it is a it's a huge g5 game and i mean come on let's get to the bread and butter of this podcast it's a huge g5 game it's a huge aac game that's, that's um, very true what am i gonna see and what – this is always the problem I have. It's hard to convince people – when you talk about Navy, who's been top 25, you know, they make the college football playoff rankings. They're, you know, Keenan Reynolds kind of in a Heisman conversation. Yet 
no one it's very hard to talk about like this navy team versus last navy team to most people like you and i can talk about maybe a personnel shift where they had injuries down the stretch last year and that's kind of the reason they lost to army but what if anything is navy doing that's interesting this year this is where i may build in my homework <laughs> well one of the things i don't know if they're doing this very frequently i still have navy and memphis on my dvr and i haven't cracked it open yet um but one of the things I was reading about from the Air Force game, that was a completely nutty game, by the way. Navy jumps out to an enormous lead, blows it all, scores in the last seconds to to beat Air Force. One of the things they did, and one of the things that, that Niu Matalolo talked to, to me about a couple of years ago when we did our uh, game planning piece, was how, you know... Generally speaking, we say that you know once you've se- once you've experienced the triple option, then you you get it figured out, and you they don't they're not able to execute it as well anymore. That's the that's the company line. Right. Uh, Neo and everybody else will always then point out that that means they have film on you, and that there are only certain ways that you can defend their system. And once you know once they know what you're going to do, uh, they don't have to wait a quarter to figure it out. They can just play. They can adjust to it immediately. Um, and so it always balances out pretty well. Uh, but what he has also said and what the numbers bear out is that Air Force and Army, who, who obviously practice, uh, you know, who, who are very, very, very familiar with this system, far more than you could ever be if you don't run it yourself. Um, they have struggled at times uh, to move the ball on them because everybody knows everybody's moves. Right. Uh, so. What I read for Air Force was that they basically broke out kind of the Air Force uh, option attack. It was a lot more, a lot of zone. Uh, it was a lot more zone read kind of stuff as opposed to just this plain old, you know, two fl- two slot backs p- triple option kind of attack. Uh, and it really just it it completely had Air Force befuddled for a really long time. It was not what they had prepared for. They hadn't run it all that much, and they ran it. It sounded like almost the entire Air Force game. Uh, and because they've got a quarterback in Zach Avey who can who can throw the ball pretty well, um, you know they they were able to to do that a little bit. So that was something I found interesting. I, I you know we'll see what that means moving forward. I guess it gives them another Plan B kind of a thing. If if people if there is a specific opponent on the schedule that does kind of get a leg up, they have another curveball, and they, and they obviously have now given Army something else to prepare for. Um, but that's why I thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, another thing interesting, this doesn't have anything to do with what they're doing on the field. Uh, the, af- aside from Temple, who they play in a couple weeks, um, their remaining schedule is uh, Central Florida, ninth in S&P, SMU, 42nd, at Notre Dame, 12th, at Houston, 43rd, and then Army. Uh, they've got a tough freaking schedule, and uh, they are either going to have their plans wrecked or they're going to wreck some other team's plans uh, in the process. Might be a dash of both there. I mean, that's yeah, but most likely. That's the culture they wanted, and that that's what Army wanted to avoid, and that's why people, you know, that's why Army's resisted joining a conference. I think we yelled about BYU last week. Yeah, I was in Washington D.C. Um, for work, and I remember yelling about BYU. But like, this is this Army. Army makes non-conference life work, um, and then Notre Dame does and no one else. Navy, I think, is really benefiting from conference play. I think, like, you have to talk about them in the same way that you talk about UCF and USF and Houston and Memphis because they're in the same conference, and they're good enough to hang on a week-to-week level. Um, All right. I'll dress that up because, unfortunately, our editors listen to this podcast, so it's a little bit like the teacher knowing that I'm copying homework, but I'll figure it out. All right, Bill, then I'm going to go to State College, Pennsylvania. They have a football contest this weekend. They do. It's Penn State University against the University of Michigan. Um, 
over under on John O'Corn's stat line. What you got? Oh, um, you know that's the one thing Penn State does has been scored, doing. Really does he throw for a touchdown pass? Uh, sure. What, saying saying he does it once isn't uh, you know not in junk time a possibility. Huh? Not in junk time. No, I don't think it goes to junk time. I don't think Michigan's defense lets it go to junk time. Um, okay, what's your all right? What's your definition of junk time again? I know you have an official one. Uh, like you know, over two possessions in the fourth quarter, over three in the in the third, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, okay. I'm thinking about tweaking that, but regardless, um, the the uh, hang on, hang on. You made a, you made a declaration there. I want to I want to touch on that. Penn State offense, really good at home. Penn State yeah. defense, slow on the road. Non-existent at Iowa, very slow to develop against Northwestern. Do you, so you, you, like, you like Michigan to hold serve and, and keep the numbers down for the most part? Well, sure. Just is, is it I like an Iowa-type game? I mean, if they can help it, yeah. But, I mean, the, the Iowa game was really weird because Penn State basically controlled the game. Like, there was really... Uh, you know, their win expectancy with my numbers, post-game win expectancy was like 86%. Um, it really played out in a way that almost always favors Penn State to win big. Uh, they had to pull this one out at the last minute, so whatever. Uh, but, I mean, I, I could see a certain, a, a similar situation. The thing about Penn State is that um, the thing their defense has been doing really well is getting hands on passes and making it really difficult to throw the ball. Yeah. And if you're, if you're Michigan, that doesn't sound very attractive right now. Um, because all you can really do is uh, occasionally break a big play in the, in the run game and you can't pass at all. Yeah. But Michigan, I mean, if it, Michigan's defense is so good that all they need is a couple turnovers. If, if, you know, if they, if they get a couple easy scores because of turnovers, even if it's like a touchdown and a field goal, they're going to be in it all the way into the fourth quarter because they're, they're just not going to give up a ton of points and yards. So, uh, the turnover battle, I think becomes doubly important. Um, one or two breakdowns either way, one or two big plays either way becomes very, very important. It's all about easy points here. Whoever scores the more easy points, neither team is going to be able to generate a ton of success like you know, down for down, drive for drive. So it's all about the easy points. Statement game for Berkeley and or McSorley as far as the Heisman goes. For someone who does does not like actively speaks out against the Heisman and how how the process works, I've looked more at Heisman candidates this year than any other year. I can't <laughs> figure out why. I think it's just because there's a lot of cool football players doing cool stuff right now. Yeah, and. That's the genuine spirit of what the Heisman should be instead of this horrible, politically motivated, weird, <laughs> territorial, geopolitical quagmire of crap in sports writing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like Lamar Jackson. Awesome. Great. I like let's let's give like six dudes Heismans this year. How's that? <laughs> All right. That would, yeah, that that would piss them off like- even more. The, the one time I tried to, like, I had the first couple of years I was doing this job, I, I did like a weekly Heisman thing, hated it. So I had to figure out weird ways to do it. And one of them was basically I, I awarded a Heisman every week, like just like listed my top 10 uh, every single week and then added up the points at the end of the year. Um, I think that was the year, I think that was the year Johnny Manziel won it, if I remember right. But, uh, and it ended up, he had the most points, so it all worked out, but it was kind of a fun way to, to do something that I hated. Uh, if I had been doing it this year, Saquon would have won the Heisman at the end of September. Uh, no question about it, but 
it's been a lot more of older Penn State. Like, we can say that the offense had a great game against Indiana, but that's not necessarily true. They scored 45 points. Part of it was Saquon obviously returning the opening kickoff for a touchdown, but then they also recovered, uh, re- uh, returned a fumble for a touchdown later in the quarter. They were basically, it was, it was a game that should have been about 14-7, and it was 28 nothing, and it just kind of defined the rest of the game at that point. And so... It didn't seem like Penn State started was taking any chances. Saquon didn't do anything on the ground. He, he barely did anything against Northwestern the next week. Meanwhile, Bryce Love is out here rushing 10 times for 800 yards a game. Good Lord. And, and I think he's probably past Saquon at this point. So, Except that game started at 11. No one thought. But his stats are his stats. Like, it, it's, they are so far, uh, they are so egregiously ridiculous right now that I don't think it matters. If I he, think, Bill, if he holds pace, I bet he doesn't finish higher than third. I bet I bet you're wrong. I don't. I also bet that he doesn't hold pace because I don't think anybody can hold yeah, that pace. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but even with a 25 to 30 percent decline statistically down the stretch, it evens out a little bit. They're screwed. It's not going to happen. Look at how many. Look at who's the highest finishing Stanford uh, player in the Heisman voting since the in the Harbaugh Shaw era. Luck. It's McCaffrey got second, didn't he? Luck got second. No, I, think, I thought McCaffrey also got second. Okay, so Luck, McCaffrey. There's three or four that came in third. I'm pulling up the voting here. Um, God, how did we end up on the Heisman? I apologize. Yeah, that's all you, by the way. Um, just, I'm just telling you, like, it, it happens over and over again where they'll be able, it, it will carry the West Coast, but... Yeah, I th- yeah, McCaffrey finished second, and I th- I just I think that if like cause, uh, what are we at right now? Bryce Love right now has seven games, about twenty carries per game, over ten yards per carry. So they played uh, uh, they played Notre Dame this year. Twelve, thirteen. Uh, let's see. I don't think what they do. Here for her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They play at Oregon State, at Washington State, Washington at home, Cal at home, Notre Dame at home. So they get Washington and Notre Dame late. If he puts up if, like three fifty on Notre Dame, he's got a shot. And and I think you know in this situation if they if they beat Washington and win the North so they play in the Pac-12 title game so he gets a 13th game if he's at the end of 13 games and he has 2,600 yards and so many freaking lo- and I realize Melvin Gordon sorted to this a couple of years ago but Love is is just different right now um, he's on a different level and I think if he keeps this up he wins I just don't think he'll keep it up I don't think anybody can just want him to go to New York and then somebody like kind of kicks the door in wrestling promo style and it's just like alright Love Barkley Lamar I don't know McSorley maybe like get up here make a Fitzpatrick yeah get up get up here you you, you rascals everybody wins. you all get a trophy and then boom it turns into the museum scene from the 1989 batman film prince starts playing and they spray paint everything in the downtown athletic club and that's it and then i'm just i think we would have to just discontinue the piesman at that point and just and try to join the heisman trust oh yeah no i'd be out there i'd be out there just drunk as cooter brown screaming at people in tuxedos talking about how dumb this award is bill yes you think you think manzel ever did drugs off the trophy that's a full cast question. I tell you what. Since yeah, I, seriously. What the hell? This is the wrong show, man. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm officially positing that over to full cast. I bet Menzel did drugs off the trophy. Um, and if he didn't, who else did? Bill, Thursday, October 19th, we got football. We, we do. All right. I'm going to try and mix in the multitude of questions that we asked for with a, cohesively with the schedule this week. So there's going to be a lot of ums and me flipping back and forth. We did not recognize that there was supposed to be a game Thursday that was um, storm-affected. It was Tech-Miami, right? That was supposed to be a Thursday night game? Right, yeah. that's what We always... This is last Thursday, not this Thursday. 
playing things off the cuff allows us to be kind of, I think, you know, pretty flexible and fun. And it, it leads to us. And also wrong. On some, it, leads to us, it leads to us whiffing on something massive every single week. Yeah. Oh, can't wait to find out what I did this week. Uh, Thursday, October 19th. I'm very happy with the schedule. Uh, ULL at Arkansas State and Memphis at Houston. Yeah. Um, couldn't talk enough about Houston last year with the old Tom Herman. Um, probably should talk more about Memphis. They just beat Navy. They beat Jim Moore's UCLA. Um, they're a good football team. They're just <laughs> they are. I mean, they're man, when you're a one loss G five, it just doesn't matter. It's hard to get pre- it's, it's hard as hell for USF and UCF to get attention right now. Right, and I mean Memphis got rocked by UCF, so they basically have to sit back in the line and then hopefully they can finish eleven and one and then beat UCF in the in the AAC title game, which I mean, if they, they've beaten Navy. So now they're kind of the front runners in the West, as long as they don't slip up. Houston is really weird. I thought I had a good read for what Houston was. And then they went out and they got destroyed by a bad Tulsa team last week. So now I have no yeah, idea. I know what Tulsa, the Tulsa what team they got drilled by Tulane. Yes. Who, who, who then lost to FIU for all of you people out there who start yelling at me about why is my team, why is my team ranked below some team that we beat? We beat them. That's we should be ahead of them. Uh, the transitive property imploded last week so i don't want to hear that ever again way way outside of just g5 too there's some p5 i tell you what we still don't have anything to give anyone but we could definitely come up with a con i want the best transitive chain that you can provide p5 all right if you're listening right now and you can include this weekend's games because we won't get to it until next week anyway give me the best transitive chain that you can find p5 g5 can, i mean whatever right so because so like lsu loses to troy troy loses to south alabama Ole Miss loses to or Ole Miss uh, South Alabama lost to Ole Miss. Ole Miss lost to Auburn. Auburn lost to LSU. All right, give me one of those. Yeah, you just one off the top of my head. Let's see. What can I do? Just right off the t- off the cuff here, using Howard and uh, and UNLV. Okay, That's well you're bragging thing. now, but okay. Well, no, I haven't. I haven't gotten anywhere yet. Let's see. So. Howard beat UNLV. UNLV beat Idaho. Idaho beat ooh oh boom that was easy. Idaho beat South Alabama. South Alabama beat Troy. Troy beat LSU. Yeah. LSU beat BYU. BYU. And it ended. Portland State. So Howard is better than Portland State. Beat that. Bill, you know what I hate? What do you hate, Godfrey? Shopping clothes. You wanna know why? <laughs> I bet I can figure it out. But why is that? I'm a large human being. I'm tipping these scales these days around 220. I'm six foot five. I'm built a lot like a baby giraffe. So you can imagine when I go to the cool places to buy the cool clothes and a desperate attempt to stay cool as I just inch ever closer to the age of 40, father of two, I can't find anything that fits. It sucks. I hate it. So do you know what I started doing? What did you start doing? Well, these folks at Bombfell, which is a really cool name for like a clothing service. You know, kind of sounds like a rap rock band. Uh, Bombfell, <laughs> they contacted me and they said, "Hey, let's close your let's clothe your lanky butt," and that's exactly what they did. Um, so what Bombfell is is a service, and they send you clothes. You go online, basically, you kind of tell them what kind of clothes you like, what kind of clothes you don't like, and then they start sending you stuff. And they kind of build a relationship from there that's probably more mutually beneficial than most of the relationships that people have, at least professionally so. Um, You get your own personal stylist. It's really easy. Um, In fact, as far as the testimonial goes, here's the deal, Bill. I started with the bomb fell, okay? I I was a little skeptical. I was a little skeptical because, again, I'm a large, awkwardly shaped human being, Okay. They sent me pants. The pants worked. 
It was unbelievable. All right. The pants were as long as I am. I was uh, unbelievable. It's a pair of jeans. I can't really emphasize how insane that is. Okay. And just for the sheer fact that I didn't have to go somewhere and search through places or interact with a person face to face or like go through scouring a bunch of websites, which is what my wife has to do when she buys me like suits or jeans. It's horrible, but they took care of all that. Um, so here's the other cool thing. I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to do a monthly service. Cause like, what if they send me some crap? I don't want, you know what? Bombfell sent me a shirt. I didn't like it. It wasn't me. It was the first month of the service. We're still trying to kind of figure each other out, right? You know, we don't have that witty rapport like you and I have. You know, if you bought me a shirt, you would probably know, right? I have a pretty good idea, yeah. That's what I like to hear. If I bought you a shirt, I would get you something that says, I went to Missouri and I'm angry about it. I wonder if they have that in stock. Just give me a Puma sweatshirt. That's fine, too. No kidding. All right. I'm Melda Marcos. So, Bombfell sent me a shirt. I was like, you know what? Not my thing. Um, close, no cigar. I was, you know, I was really kind of testing the service because I wasn't going to testimonial on something that was going to be like, like I didn't want to fake it for our podcast listeners. So I sent the shirt back. It was stupid proof. And I try really to test the limits of stupid proof, Bill. Um, as you know, you edit the show, you do all the technical things. So I don't burn it down in one day. Um, so what happens if you don't like the clothes, you put it back in the same bag. They give you a sticker. You put that sticker on top of the shipping label, and then you just send it. You just go to your little FedEx location, you send it. And I literally had to pay nothing, do nothing. It was very, very easy, so I appreciate that. Okay, so if you're interested in Bombfell, here's what you do. You go you go to the old Bombfell website, all right? It's bombfell.com. You go and you sign in. You tell people basically like what kind of style you have. If you don't have a style, they'll kind of go through some brands, things that you might like, might not like. Then you go measurements. You go kind of preferences. Are you looking for like shirts or sweaters or shorts or whatever? I don't wear shorts at all. And I told them that. It was kind of cool. They instantly knew how weird I was. Um, Then you set up your order. You're like, I want, you know, maybe two shirts a month or two pairs of pants, whatever. Okay. And you could also just say like, hey, send me cool stuff. I'm I'm a bit of a clothes horse, person X, and I enjoy just receiving nice clothes. Um, So then they're going to send you an email and they're going to say, here's the stuff that's coming. And then it's coming. All right. So you get about 48 hours. This stuff's coming. Then you get it. Like when I got the shirt, I was like, "Mm, that might work. Right. So I was like, cool. Send it. I got it. Tried it on. Like, I'm good. But I really like the pants. Okay. So send back the shirt. No problem. You have seven days. You basically hang on to it. You know, wear it if you want. I mean, probably don't, don't mess it up too bad if you think about returning it. But, um, it's really basically eliminates the concept of looking through a catalog, going through websites or going to the mall. So I couldn't be happier with that. Um, it, it eliminates the process of shopping. And then again, as you continue to build and go through different shirts and pants and jackets and stuff, your stylist is going to kind of figure out what works for you. So um, it's men's clothing. If you need some men's clothing, do that. If you're a lady and you're listening and you have a man to shop for or a man who refuses to shop, much, much like me, um, this is it. This is the best way to probably get them to shop. Um, so, Go to bombfell.com slash play. play. One more time. Bombfell.com slash play. You you, you kind of lulled me out of that. I, was, I wasn't I ready. You. That's right. Bombfell.com slash play. Um, so you can go and get $25 off of your first purchase if you go to bombfell.com slash play. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com. B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com. Bomb Fell. I'm telling you, it's a fantastic early aughts rap rock band. Um, then, And you can go and check out, um, oh, let's see. 
I think that's it, Bill. I think we just did a, our successful ad read. So you go to Bombfell. Their tagline is open and closed. Do you get it? Do you get it? Oh, I get it. Yeah, cool. All right, bombfell.com slash play. At SH Podcast asks, does anybody stand out as a favorite to you in the massive morass of mediocrity that is the American Athletic Conference West? Well, Memphis. Massive morass of mediocrity. Good job. Uh, Memphis. You good with yes. that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> they, are, they are quite good. Watch so, them on Thursday night on ESPN. Let's move to Friday night. Western Kentucky plays at Old Dominion. That's in Virginia. Uh, CBS Sports Network, 5 p.m. Marshall goes to Middle Tennessee on ESPN2 at 6. Uh, Air Force goes to Nevada at 8.30 on the CBS Sports Network. And Colorado State is at New Mexico on ESPN2. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marshall's I, good. Number one. Number one, the Mountain West has been a just a giant mess this year. It's great, uh, everybody losing to everybody and everybody beating everybody, and it's been a it's been a big mess. Boise, I was happy to see S and P Plus redemption last week with Boise handling San Diego State pretty easily. But I uh, I will also point out that Colorado State still looking really good, and they seem to have figured out their offense. Um, you know they. They had that weird game where they blew a ton of chances. They lost to Colorado. Then they lost to Alabama. No shame there. But since then, uh, they beat Hawaii. They scored 51 on Hawaii. They scored. They you know beat Utah State 27-14, and then they scored 44 on Nevada. Their defense is all over the map. Uh, they tried to lose to Nevada by giving up 42 points, but uh, their offense is rolling. It's probably the best single unit in the conference. And so th- th- they still... It'll be it'll kind of depend on the AAC now, but if they get to the end of the year, they're eleven and two with wins over Boise and San Diego State, and they've only lost to Colorado and Alabama. And there's not and like UCF's lost, and there's not a clear, definitive UCF or uh, G five AAC representative there. Colorado State still will have a chance to get that bid, I think. Bill, yeah, let's go to Saturday. Okay. Uh, also, I will say this. I enjoy the mess as well. The Mountain West does not enjoy that mess. Because the first thing I thought when I saw the box score when I woke up on Sunday for Boise and uh, San Diego was, that's got to piss them off. The, the conference <laughs> is old because they just, you're so far out of the conversation this year. And they need to stay in the conversation. Beal, Saturday, October 21st. Okay. Early shift. I'm doing this blind this week, by the way, because I've been in meetings all day, so I haven't pre-checked the schedule, so I can't. Oh, do you I, normally pre-check? I never. Pre-check. I scan through and go like, "Ooh, early is ass, late is good," or vice versa. Now I'm just like, "All right, let's see what we got." Ready? Yep. No reason to. No reason to use windshield wipers. Just keep driving. Uh, Akron goes to Toledo at the ESPN Extra slash ESPN Three. I don't know. It's on your phone. Idaho is at Missouri. Gross. I know somebody's going to that. SEC yeah, Network hey, at 11. I get to be, I have an excuse to drink at 8 a.m. I don't want to hear it. Oh, man. I mean, you can just drink at 8 a.m. and not inflict that no, pain but, on yourself. But then you've got a problem. If you do it at a tailgate, you don't have a problem. I think going to Idaho and Missouri is a hell of a lot more of a problem than drinking at 8 a.m. Screw that. ESPN2, yeah. Iowa at Northwestern. Iowa State at Texas Tech, FS1 at 11. Uh, Louisville at Florida State. Boys game lost some luster. ESPN 11 o'clock. Uh, they're all at 11. Uh, Maryland, Wisconsin's on Fox. Okie State goes to Texas on ABC. That's probably your winner right there. Purdue's at Rutgers. That'd be bloody. Uh, Temple goes to Army. Some Godfrey schools there. Uh, Tulsa is at UConn. And then let's bump up. Pittsburgh is at Duke on the ACC, like the old Jefferson Pilot thing. Check your local listings. 
BC is at Virginia on the same thing, except that one's on FSN at 1130. And that will take us through the afternoon. So of the morning, I guess it jumps out right away. You're going to watch Okie State in Texas, right? I will be watching Idaho, Missouri. Uh, I will be recording Oklahoma State, Texas. Normal people are going to be watching Oklahoma State in Texas. Yeah, yeah. You seem dejected. What's wrong? Well, yeah, I, I always I like having a backup option, but unless we're talking Louisville, Florida State, I don't think there is one. Um, Maryland, Wisconsin, I oh Iowa State, Texas Tech, is that secret fun? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, no, that that'll be good. Definitely record that one, um, just in case because it could get weird. So um, Iowa State, by the way, as I mentioned, top thirty team, like a legitimate, and that means that of the big batch of one loss teams at the top of the the rankings right now, other than Ohio State having a pretty good loss to Oklahoma, Oklahoma probably has the second best loss. Uh, Iowa State's actually might not be bad, and that might not actually end up being a bad loss, other than the fact that it was at home and they still have a lot of good teams to play. I'm sure that Oklahoma fans are going to look at it that way. Yeah, take heart. I'm so sure. All right. I don't see a direct tie-in for questioning, so we're going to continue to march on. You ready? Yep. All right, let's go to the afternoon. So, oh, uh, so yeah, normal pick there is uh, Oklahoma State at Texas. And then uh, if you want to back up, if you want something funsy and pointsy, you just do your Iowa State and your Texas Tech. Um, let's go to the afternoon. Skip, 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 skip. I always like that they say that goal line starts at 2 p.m. Why is goal line too good for the morning games? What's that about? No one watches goal line. Everyone watches red zone. They love it. I'm not. I'm not really into red zone because I only care about one NFL. One NFL team is cancerous enough. I don't need to watch all of them. But like, I don't know. I digress. Arizona State goes to Utah at FS1 at two thirty. Oh, Georgia Southern goes to UMass. Um, God, that's gonna be on television. Illinois is at Minnesota on BTN. Indiana goes to Michigan State on ABC. That's gonna be so Big Ten, but that's actually gonna be like kind of a good game. Um, North Carolina at Virginia Tech, 230 ESP. It's just that I have to say it like that as a Southerner. Like, it's that it's that the SEC, there's parts of the SEC you can't purge out of your blood, even though I, like, constantly battle with the conference over, like, the journalism stuff and the media stuff and the investigative reporting. But, like, I still am a graduate of the Southeastern Conference. I still am Southern. And so I look at something, I'm like, Indiana, Michigan State, gross. They're wearing jeans and sweatshirts. Um, Syracuse goes to Miami, 230 ESPN, Tennessee is at Bama on CBS. <laughs> What's wrong with CBS this year? UCF goes to Navy at 2.30 on CBS Sports Network. Kentucky is at Mississippi State on SEC Network. We're now at 3 o'clock. Oklahoma goes to Kansas State on Fox. You know what I'm noticing the trend is? That all of the all of the Big 12 games are going to be fun to watch from here on out. So we should just kill the whole pick segment of like what you should watch. Just find a Big 12 conference game because, like, it's a reliably good firework stand. In reliably good, I mean that like you can smoke a cigarette next to it and something cool is going to happen. And it might be the best conference of college football this year. I'm all about that. Uh, Oregon goes to UCLA at 3 o'clock on Pac-12 Networks. SMU goes to Cincinnati, and we will stop there at the end of the afternoon. But it's ESPNU for SMU Cincinnati. Um, Man, there's... I mean... There's some good, there's some solid stuff here. Um, Oklahoma, Kansas State, actually, because I because you're now one loss Oklahoma. Are you going to be a one loss like Ohio State's a one loss, or are you going to be a one loss like the Oklahoma team that ends up being a two loss? Um, that's a Hashtag that's a tricky riddle analysis. Right there. Um, Kansas State's been disappointing this year. I expected more of their 
well, their defense, honestly, and, and really kind of offense too. Um, so this is a good test. Cause I mean, we keep thinking it's, it's Kansas state. They, they, they've got, they've got a bullet in the chamber to, they're going to take out one of these, uh, you know, one of these higher ranked teams, they're going to run somebody's season. Now it'd be a pretty good chance to, cause, uh, you not looked the part the last couple of weeks. So, um, I, I am curious about that. Um, I mean, really, if we're being honest here, the most interesting game is UCF Navy. <laughs> Speaking of Navy, thank you, Bill. At yes. one dishwasher says, with an AD, with a new AD in Lincoln, are chances better or worse for Ken Niamatanolo to Nebraska? They're probably the same, which is no. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love it. I, I would adore that. Uh, it's not going to happen. Nope. Uh, it's just not. Uh, and another question regarding that game. A couple people uh, asked about McKenzie Milton. Why is nobody talking about McKenzie Milton? Is he the best uh, yep. sophomore quarterback, the best G5 quarterback? Here are McKenzie Milton's stats at this moment in time. McKenzie Milton is the 5'11 quarterback of UCF um, who does not look like uh, a quarterback at all, but he has completed 70% of his passes for 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. He is averaging over 11 yards per attempt, and by that I mean including sacks. Uh, He has also rushed 27 times for 211 yards. Uh, He's been freaking incredible. Uh, right now I, I started putting up the opponent adjusted stats on the stat profiles of football study hall, uh, even adjusting for their we- reasonably weak schedule. Uh, they are third in passing S and P plus right now. They are first in passing success rate. We know Scott Frost tempo and all that, mm-hmm. that usually spells running. Uh, they're good at running. They're great at passing. And this little five eleven dude is why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. I've got more questions. We can kind of tie into that. Right. A, a, a fake award which we can't give out because we don't have any merchandise robert baker at k-e-r-b-a 11 one one two three you should all go follow him because he asked he was the most on brand my man was the most on brand with a question this week which current one lost g5 team would be the most exciting possible ny6 participant if usf ucf etc come back to the pack Man, good question, hard answer. I would like to see Navy. I would like to see yeah. Memphis. Um, I, in terms of excitement, I mean, I I, I will ring the bell for mm. Colorado State. Colorado State has two yeah. losses, so they need yeah, some things yeah. to happen. Yeah, I'm good. But they that. are fun. I don't know. Is it possible for two loss? You need some. You need some swing on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible, but yeah, you, it's they have to they they need to be done some favors now. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, there really aren't that many one-loss teams. You're looking at Marshall and Conference USA. Uh, you are looking at Navy and uh, Memphis in in the AAC. Like Sunbelt, everybody's got two losses. SMU's Mountain got West, two losses. Um, San Diego State's the only one-loss le- left in Mountain West. So really, I mean, if weird things start happening in the AAC, you're looking at a very, very good chance of a two-loss team making it, which whatever. I mean, that's they're still pretty good. There are still some pretty good mid-majors out there. It be pretty hard to judge it. Okay, um... That's a good question, though. I like that question. Um, uh, I did 3 o'clock. Let's go back. 5 o'clock on Mountain West uh, website. I don't know. Utah State's at UNLV, 5 o'clock. Uh, UAB goes to Charlotte at 5.30 on BN, which is a really bad place to watch the U.S. soccer. I watched that in a bar last week in D.C., and their coverage sucked. Uh, BYU is at East Carolina on CBS Sports Network. Um, South Florida goes to Tulane on ESPN2. Trap game? Possible. Uh, LSU is at Ole Miss, uh, the most meaningful sporting event in my life, and I never get to see it anymore, um, at least in person. It's going to be great weather in Oxford, too. That's at 6.15 on ESPN. Um, 
Auburn is at Arkansas, 6.30 on SEC Network. Michigan goes to Penn State. That's where I'll be, 6.30 ABC. Um, 6.30 on NBC, USC at Notre Dame. Wake Forest is at Georgia Tech on ESPN. Nobody's going to watch that at 6.30 on ESPNU. Arizona's at Cal at 7. We'll stop after the 7 game, so there's a couple more. Kansas goes to TCU at 7. Fox! Why? Did the World Series do this to you? Is this a baseball problem? Good God. <laughs> West Virginia's at Baylor on FS2. Put that game on Fox. No, no, that's not any better. That's better. I, I, it's a TCU showcase. Let's put it that way. It's no TCU. kidding. They are the best. Uh, or the, well, not, they're not the best Big 12 team, but they're the first Big 12 team in line. This is a chance for the nation to get to know TCU. That's all I can. Whew. No. Yeah. No. Stupid. Stupid Fox. At Mort2885 asks, my UAB Blazers are doing all right, but S&P Plus shows they aren't a good team. Should I curb my enthusiasm about them? No! Have fun, dude. You just got your foot. Someone brought your football team back from the dead. Don't let Bill ruin that. That's right. I'm enjoying it. I don't care what my numbers say. They're four and two. They've got, even with these hateful numbers, they've got a 95% chance of bowling this year. They were dead 12 months ago. They are a zombie football program. And Literally. They, I, I, that, that is an incredible – I don't care that they're only 100 second. 100 second is pretty decent in the Conference USA, first of all. Uh, no, that's awesome. Enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, – let's go the opposite, things you shouldn't enjoy. Um, at that Gambrel guy says, should I let Ole Miss's performance against Vandy give me hope or is Vandy really bad slash the game was a fluke? Um, no, LSU's going to beat that ass. Um but have fun. I mean, it's a great game. The reason why I say it's the most meaningful sporting event in my life is I met my wife there. I obviously went to college at Ole Miss. I sort of built a career. Like, one of the big the big moments for me as a sports writer was a 2003 game where Nick Saban goes on to win the national title, and they missed two field goals. So um, it's fantastic. It's uh, Ed Orgeron threatened to end your life. Yep. I mean, it's all like if, if you I define... say Orgeron. I, that's another one. Everybody gives me crap about, what? you know, Dabo. I always say Orgeron. You said something wrong. weird a second ago, but I was taking a note on something else and I let it slide. And I, oh, the head coach of West Virginia is called. Oh, yeah. That one just came out wrong. OK, it's, it's, Holgers, right. it's Holgerson. It came out Holgorson. OK, I was just checking. I didn't uh, know if you were doing like that sounds like a DC Comics villain. Um, uh, Is almost before. Was it a fluke? No, I think Vandy. I mean, if anything, if so, if you guys were watching my Twitter on Saturdays, I mean, who who wouldn't be? Um, I apologize to Bill for for kind of messing with him in the offseason about undervaluing Vandy. No, he he just valued Vandy. He had it well, right. I, I was wrong, and then I was right. So here's so I just pulled up Vandy's stat profile here. So the first three games of the year before Alabama, their percentile performances. You know, so basically like you played like a top ten team or whatever. Ninety three percent against Middle Tennessee. Ninety two percent against. Alabama A&M, 64% against Kansas State. Since Alabama, Alabama, 7%. Florida, 17%. Georgia, 12%. Ole Miss, 14%. Alabama killed them. They were, they were, they were doing well. They had everything where they want them. Alabama ate their soul, and they're, and they're done now. Like, that's, that's it. That's, that's the whole thing. They were doing fine, and then they, they wanted Bama and got Bama, and now they have nothing. Um. No, I, I think LSU's um, probably calm enough now on offense to to know how to adjust these things, and Ole Miss just doesn't have a defense at all. So they have an offense, though. <laughs> I mean, Shea Patterson is living up yeah. to the hype. I'll put it that way. We'll see. Um, all right. Um, 
Bill, I'm trying to see. It's tough to mix these questions in. Um, yeah, I've been trying to take some notes here. There's a, I don't know if we have anything new to say, but our friend I am St- at I am Stephen Hale says, my Auburn fan, fire everyone. Panic is irrational, and I accept that. But what is the best case you could make for it? Enable me. Basically, please tell me why it's okay to fire Gus Malzahn. It's not. It's not. I mean, if you want to justify it, just say that you want to be you want to beat Alabama and he's made it clear that he's not going to consistently top Nick Saban. That's all you got. Um, they 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 are playing at a top 15 level and they are going to win eight, nine games a year. Occasionally, they're going to do a little better than that. And, you know, once once every now and then they'll probably do a little worse, but they are recruiting at a high at, at a top 15 level they're playing most of the time at a top 15 to 25 level if you if you decide that's not good enough and you make a move it it's it's as we've been saying it's kind of only ever worked for Kirby Smart and we still don't know that it'll work for Kirby Smart for very long it probably will but we don't know that uh it's just a it's a it's a terrible thing to do so don't do it at D Hensman says Harbaugh to the NFL there's no realistic reason UM would fire him okay uh, um, oh no no that was he was answering his own question more likely uh, Mike Leach to Nebraska or Jim Harbaugh not coaching in Ann Arbor in 2018 uh, then he says the answer okay. is Harbaugh to the NFL he answered his own question um, neither Harbaugh neither right now let me say this unless the, an, an extraordinary opportunity opens in the NFL where he has more control than he's going to be allotted He's not going to leave Michigan having not beaten Ohio State, having not won the division, having not won the conference. It's not going to happen. I haven't even been to a Rose Bowl. Like, no, it's not happening yet. I don't think he's there forever, but I definitely don't think that he's leaving now. Right. If somebody, like, offers him $15 million a year or something, he would probably take it. If you had a situation like the Giants and they, were, they gave him control of everything in New York, then maybe. But I don't think that they're really lining up to do that for Jim Harbaugh. One more question from the 6.30 hour. Uh, Josh Brundage asks, Georgia Tech has now ha- now has two soul-crushing last-second one-point losses in games, which they led most of. Will I survive this season as a fan? Probably not. Uh, maybe not, but... Sweet, sweet death. Man, oh man, they really are that close to being undefeated. This is a good Georgia Tech team, and they've got a new quarterback, and they are... Really, they are a solid top 20, 30 team with hints at something better than that. Man, they really, they have come close. They are very, very close to 5-0 and right now. All right, Bill. Yeah. Let's do this evening. You ready? Yep. All right, I stopped at 7, so here's your nightcap. Not a big nightcap. No, actually. Um, I, I, I Well, no, there's baseball on Fox. Um, No, I don't know. Not a big nightcap. Uh, Wyoming goes to Boise State at 9-15 on ESPN2. CBS Sports Network has Fresno State at San Diego State, and then Colorado is at Wazoo at 945 on ESPN. Um, Would certainly behoove Washington State to get back on track. Um, Wyoming at Boise State should be fun. Um, not particularly yeah, meaningful. All, all three but. Of these games. Fresno State um, is is I think somebody we have to start paying attention to. Not not as like a, you know they're going to get the G five bowl bid thing or anything, but Jeff Tedford has them playing pretty dang well. Like they their losses are to Alabama and Washington. Uh, they crushed Nevada. They they handled San Jose State. They really crushed New Mexico. They're playing kind of like we always like we say Fresno State always ha- should play. They're number sixty overall. Um, they're pretty good on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they beat San Diego state and, and win the mountain West West. Can we just watch Josh Allen play football and stop talking about him related to Lamar Jackson? He didn't tell do that. that. 
Tell that Matt Miller dude. He's he's still. Dude, we didn't. Still he didn't do that. We did. We in the media did that, and then we can't turn around and rub the kid's face in what we decided to do. Like I'm sorry, I'm talking about we as the entire collective media, as if it had one mind. But like, just no. I don't remember. Look, I, I corresponded briefly with Wyoming when, and I was like tenth in line to write a Josh Allen feature. Um, in my defense, it's mainly because I like Wyoming, but. It, that that's not on the kid, man. That's that's not a that's not a Levar Ball situation or whatever. It's just he got mentioned a lot because scouts have talked about him. It's the same the same apparatus that overinflates these kids and underinflates others. And yeah, I mean a lot of things have to do with it, but it's not Josh Allen's fault. Like God, just right. let Wyoming be Wyoming. Um, they are they are currently 118th in offensive S and P plus. They are 124th in passing S and P plus. Josh Allen is completing. 58% of his passes, he's gotten sacked 12 times. He's averaging barely five yards per attempt. He's having a bad year. And we're still trying to put, just let him figure things out. Yeah, like, just, just let him be back. a quarterback, Don't man. Say, yeah, take his name out your mouth the rest of the year. Talk him out again oh, next year because he does not need mad. to go pro right now. Okay. We don't not, have... not you personally. Not you personally. Oh, but like the, 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 the whatever, uh, Matt Miller, whatever his name is, still having a feature about him being the, the next Cam Newton. Dude's got some things to figure out. Let's let him figure them out. It's just weird. Like, I know people are resentful because of the way that Lamar gets unfairly treated. But, like, again, Josh Allen didn't do that. They, someone plucked him out and decided to feature him. Um, I mean, complain about Sam Darnold in the context of what being a USC quarterback automatically earns you in terms of media coverage. I get that part. But, again, Sam Darnold didn't do that. Look within yourself to find the hot take because you are your own hot take. Um, We didn't pick an afternoon game to watch. I will tab uh, Auburn, Arkansas's anxiety status. Okay, Um, I know a lot of people. A lot of people ping me about anxiety games now. I got a brand. I gotta gotta service that brand. Um, uh, It's look. I know our buddy Steven just asked us a question, and we say absolutely not. Don't worry about Gus, but. Auburn has the shortest leash of of the of the national title winning and contending right. programs. There, I really don't think there's a, a leash shorter than Auburn's in the no, country. We're talking about what they should or shouldn't do. That that's not the same as what they will or won't. Yeah, do. they're not gonna listen to us. <laughs> I mean, they're great, so don't worry about it. I mean, they're they're still gonna do terrible stuff. Um, I had a question. Oh yeah, uh, Ryan Nolan asked me uh, when at at White on Rye fifteen. Uh, when should we expect the Georgia Southern postmortem? And can you preview it here? I'm just trying to make sure that the shot lands in the right place. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be vague, but it just, when you talk about how bad a program is and, 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 and you're assigning blame and, and talking about systemic issues, you don't want to screw it up. So that's all. And, you know, we, we don't work somewhere that demands that we churn content and just get it right. Um, I don't think, so, I don't think the whole world's waiting on a George Southern story either. Um, so, uh, afternoon watch, we didn't pick one. Um, Oh. And we didn't pick an evening watch either. Um, I'm going to be at Michigan Penn State, so I don't. I mean, I guess that's my pick. Um, if you want to watch a fun SEC game, I, I'll, I'll give it to LSU at Ole Miss. And if you want to watch, mm, mm, you know, UCLA loses to Oregon. That's going to be as intense as it may get in terms of heat around Mora. Um, I think North Carolina Virginia Tech could be fun. And North Carolina is a bad year. Injuries galore. Yeah, they were they're gonna be young anyway, and then they got hurt. They're young and injured this year. Yeah. yeah. Um I mean I'll, so yeah, I'll just say Michigan Penn State, and then if you're looking for the the hipster cred game in the in the evening block, um 
Ooh, man. Um, I just, I guess the Anxiety Bowl. Well, I'm sure yeah. as hell I don't tell anybody to watch Notre Dame. So, all right, let's clean it up real quick. See if there's anything else on the Facebooks or the streams that's worth watching. Uh, UTSA. Uh, well, I was really hyping them for a while, and they lost two straight. They're home against Rice on Facebook. Yeah, I think I think the last game had more to do with North Texas. Uh, They're than good. UC, UTSA. I think UTSA is still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, my numbers, by the way, we didn't talk about this. My numbers suddenly love Southern Miss. Um, They're like a good they, team. They handled UTEP in such a mean way last week that they jumped to, I mean, this wasn't the only reason they jumped, but they jumped in 31st. They are 21st on defense. Uh, they got blown up by North Texas, but otherwise they've held just about everybody down well below their season averages. Uh, they seem to be a pretty de- a decent team, which means they're going to lose at Louisiana Tech. Um, but there are a lot of... The Conference USA this year, the bottom of Conference USA is is as miserable as ever. Rice, UTEP, Charlotte, terrible, 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 terrible. But Southern Miss is pretty good. Marshall's pretty good. UTSA is pretty good. North Texas is pretty good. Western Kentucky is still decent. Louisiana Tech, I think, is a little better than their ranking, although I'm starting to lose faith. Uh, lots of decent to, to pretty good teams in Conference USA this year, and that's more than I expected to say. I want to go back to Auburn. Okay. <laughs> okay. Scarier words are never spoken. Seriously. Um, a friend of mine who's an Auburn fan pointed pointed it out this week. I think he said the last six losses that Auburn's had, they basically go scoreless or under. I think he either said like three to seven points in the second half. He's the, the frustration. Basically, Auburn fans right now consider Kevin Steele to be like a junk pile revelation. His hiring was not met with any enthusiasm. It was assumed to be a retread of a coach who you know, seemed to be losing luster on a national level, and it's turned out great because Auburn can recruit the hell out of defense and develop like great linebackers. They always have. But they are now focusing. I think this is where like – and you get that special Auburn level of intensity. They're pissed. Because it, so they could say, Gus, your system's not working. You guys aren't adjusting in the second half. And now it's, Gus, you're clearly not letting either this OC sucks or he's not really running his own offense. Like, what is it, Gus? It's, it's interesting to watch. Um, they did not score a point in the second half against LSU. They did not score a point in the second half against Clemson. I'm going back now and looking. I don't think they scored a point in the second half against in the Iron Bowl. And I, they I also lost their... They all in the Iron Bowl. Uh, they, they, they scored 12 points in the Iron Bowl. Um, man, I have no, we made a joke about this in the off season. I do not remember that sugar bowl at all. Well, I do. I mean, look, like I was saying in my preview, Oklahoma played Auburn last year. I have no memory of that. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it wasn't a great game. Bob Stoops' last game. No, that's true. Um, no, like, like I said, you know, in the off season, you know, Sean White was healthy for like a healthy and confident for a month. They were pretty good within that month. Uh, and then he got hurt and it all fell apart. So I wasn't really last year was last year. This year, Jared Stidham isn't hurt um, here. I, you know, honestly, I'm willing to, you know, give Auburn the benefit of the doubt for a couple of reasons. Number one, I mean, they lost by eight to Clemson, but the big shame, you know, um, they couldn't protect uh, Jarrett Stidham even slightly against Clemson. They have since protected him relatively well. And I think, I think the LSU game was just one of those stupid avalanche games. Here's their success rate by quarter, 58% in the first quarter, 42% in the second quarter, 15% in the third quarter, 16% in the fourth quarter. It just, it just, I think they just got caught up in an LSU avalanche. I, I, I don't really want to 
go too far beyond that because I just think sometimes you you lose games. You, sometimes the games get away from you, and I think that's what happened on Saturday. And I mean that's that's not like a good thing. Like oh well, you know whatever. You 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 let a game get away from you against a chief rival when you had a chance to beat them in Baton Rouge. That's never good. But I don't want to. I, I can't really make any overriding indictment of their offense. I think the game just got away from them a little bit. All of these irrational assessments. None of those are going to be taken that way. Uh, I don't. I, they didn't score in the second half against Georgia either last okay. year. Thirteen to seven game. I was say scored game, at all. Um, that game was sort of the pock, and it's weird too because I think a lot of Auburn fans are looking at Georgia the way a lot of Florida fans are looking at Georgia right now, which is <laughs> how how good how how like. Oh God! This we're going to get like double sabined now. People are going to freak out because yes. of Alabama, and then they're going to turn around and freak. Thanks a lot, Georgia. Oh, it's happening, definitely. Ugh. I mean, especially when you go back now, if you think like an Auburn fan and you, well, calm down a little bit, they had, remember, they, they knock less they knock less out, right? Yeah. They knock less out, and they were a 500 team when they did that, and then they went on a run of like six wins. And so they beat Arkansas, they beat Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and winning and then, all those and games they're supposed White got to. And then White got hurt. And they lose to Georgia – and then, of course, the Iron Bowl happens. And so you're back in that weird upper-middle class sort of morass, you know. They're in a weird, weird, depressive place with, like, a good coach and Gus Malzahn. Um, they, it, I mean, look, Auburn will always be the king of all anxiety. So, And speaking of, of anxiety, anxiety to, a, to a question we got earlier today, um, at Will Bardwell, uh, I won't hey, name buddy. names, uh, but I just saw that someone legitimate write today that Butch, quote, isn't the right man for the job. Um, okay. I wonder whether that's true. You describe him as eminently competent. He's obviously had success before and UT has a more complicated place. And now, um, what he had said earlier, uh, he, he basically, he was, he was using that as a way to, to frame what he had asked us even earlier in the day, which is that I, I've been talking a lot about coaches instead of the Glenn Mason territory situation, instead of firing the coaches who are good, but aren't good, quite good enough instead of firing them, figuring out how to support them. Yeah. He, he said, in your estimation, does Butch Jones fall into that Bielema ish needs more support class? Um, Did you put Bielema in the needs more support class? I, I think that that he, it got referenced a little bit. There was no, no, no. This was a couple of weeks ago when I said that his his buyout might be good because you have no support, no chance, uh, no choice but to support him because you can't buy him out. Um, and you know, I think Bealum is an interesting. Bealum is a situation where he hasn't quite. You know, he'll lose a, an assistant. He'll the defense is good one year, but then they lose a bunch of guys. And then the offense gets good, and then they don't. They they haven't been able to match up everything at once. They haven't been able to sync up really. And I mean, it, they're bad this year. Arkansas has lost the plot this year, and and that's a problem. But if you can't buy him out, then if you're Jeff Long, you've got to figure out how to how how to give him what he doesn't have. And so I do think that's a pretty good example of somebody who who you know you don't because of that ridiculous buyout, you don't have a choice but to support him. But Butch. Butch is so hard to evaluate because again, he just had the two best years Tennessee's had in a decade. But every time he opens his mouth, you wish he didn't open his mouth. And he really does. When you see what, well, DeBoard's not doing amazing at Indiana, but he's doing better at Indiana than he was the first half of last year. Um, I'm just laughing because he was yelling at you on Twitter. I I still, I I would like to. so mad. I would like to have a a, a chat with Mike DeBoard. I would like to go to Bloomington and sit down and, and talk offense with Mike DeBoard. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, There's one word for it. 
But when you when you see what he's done at Indiana, just in terms of of, of implementing a high tempo kind of system that he cut, that you know he got to do at the very end of last year, and then you realize that probably the reason he didn't get to do more of that last year was Butch had his finger on the offense and basically, oh no, you got to slow it down for the defense. Uh, but then he also seemed to have his finger in the mix in the defense and not really letting Bob Shoop do things that Bob Shoop was doing at Penn State. And injury, injuries had a lot to do with that too last year. But it just kind of seems like he gets in his own way too much. Like that, anything that Butch Jones is doing wrong right now, it's kind of his own anxiety that's causing it. And I don't know how uh, I don't know how an AD fixes that. It's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that doesn't fall on any stat sheet. It doesn't even fall on any analysis. It doesn't. It's not something you can see on a field. It's not something that you can pick up unless you're there. And I don't say that because I've been, I mean, I do say that because I've been there. It's one of the, it's, it's one of the weirdest situations I've encountered since I started doing this job a long time ago where he's not the, I've never seen a bigger disconnect from between the person a coach is when you speak to them and the person a coach comes off as in the media. And usually we're talking about that paradigm with, um, you know, guys are like, oh man, that guy's a dick, but he's actually not a dick (laughs) privately, right? Like we always, like Stoops was, Bob Stoops was a great example of that. Um, He is very aggressive and combative with media, but, you know, to a man, coaches will talk about how much they loved working for him and how respectful he was and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And he was even really good individually with certain media after a while. He got better and later in his career, but uh, Butch is just, it's the most garbled, it's the most garbled brand management I've ever seen. It's the most garbled, like, charisma, if you can call it that, I've ever seen. And the bigger problem than this, this is all window dressing. They, la- I mean, we've talked about this. I've written about this like two or three times. This is my freaking Charlie Strong this year, where Jason is <laughs> like, hey, you want to write about UT? Um, that's why I drove over there last weekend, because I thought I would either see, I, I, I thought I would see a win that meant nothing and did nothing that I could write about. Or I thought I would see the end. And to be honest, I don't think I saw either, even though they lost. Because they're in such a weird spot. Um, they have they have a really good recruiting class, Bill. They have, I think, a schedule that's going to put them in a bowl. Okay? Because they play Missouri. They play Vandy. They play, um, I mean, Southern Miss is good. But they play LSU. I feel like there's enough chances there for them to get to six. All right? They are... This is, let me. I'll just. They are currently fifty-two percent with with S and P. They are right on the border, but they have. A, they still have for a, a solid eligibility. Chance. Yeah, they have a solid chance. Okay, so the reason why that's important this year is. So let's say you fire him. Let's say he goes six and six, and you fire him. He beats Vanderbilt, and they say, "Butch, this is it. We're parting ways." You have to figure out how to rectify this top ten recruiting class that's been built by his guys who are going to walk out the door shortly thereafter. All right. You have early signing day. And then you have a bowl that you have to go to. This isn't one of the years where a school can just, you know, we're in the middle of a transition, we're not going to go. Because there's a huge, huge likelihood. Keep in mind, Ole Miss is bowl banned, right? They need they need teams in bowls. And the SEC, as well as the state legislature and the poli- the politicians in Tennessee, they're not going to let them skip out on both the Liberty and the Music City Bowl if they're eligible. There's no way in hell they're going to do that. So... I'm not saying these are excuses to keep him. I'm just saying I don't really know what they're going to do about all this. It's <laughs> no, going to be this a is, really weird year. This is the, the the most interesting early signing day story in existence right now um, because of all the timing and, and how this is going to work. It'll be really, really interesting to see. Um, I mean, they do have a chance, though, 
to, yeah, to lose every single game left on the schedule. Um, probably, probably won't, every? obviously, but don't yeah, they, have just, don't they, they don't have a scrub left, do they? Well, like I mean, Missouri is a scrub. Missouri qualify. Oh, I mean, Missouri and Vanderbilt. Buddy, Missouri and Vanderbilt both qualify as scrubs. They're both below 80th right now in my rankings. But Tennessee right now is 66. They 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 right now have with S and P a 41 percent chance of beating Southern Miss, a 59 percent chance of beating Missouri, and a 65 percent chance of beating a a completely dead Vanderbilt team at home. Those are not spectacular odds. Let's look real fast. 2018 recruiting. You ready? Yep. Uh, top 10 on 247. Oklahoma, they're fine. Notre Dame, they're fine. Florida, probably fine. Florida State, interesting. Tennessee, we're talking about them right now. Uh, I'm going from 10 to 1, by the way. Yeah. Oregon, <laughs> first year, Oregon, first year head coach, Willie Tiger's not going anywhere. Number four, Penn State, national title contender. Number three, Miami, Mark Richt is building. Number two, Texas, first year, Tom Herman. Number one, Ohio State, national title contender. Okay, that's going to change. But you scroll down and you go to the next 10, and you see basically the same situation, save for there's UCLA sitting at 11. That ought to be interesting as well. A&M's at 13. I'm starting to think that A&M doesn't make a move. Right. It's week to week down there. Tennessee's the weirdest because they've Tennessee is in striking distance of a top five. Um, now, obviously, what you don't notice on this is like Alabama isn't in there yet. Um, Georgia is down at twelve. Like yeah, Alabama, Clemson Alabama's at twenty fourth right now because they have eleven total commitments. Right, but what's interesting is Clemson has eleven total commits and they're at seventeenth. USC has eleven total commits. They're at twenty first. So Alabama's still kind of in a weird spot this year. But regardless, all three of those teams will move up pretty significantly once they actually have commits. Um, yeah, I mean, this is if you want to watch a weird thing happen. I mean, if you if if we want to put. Not only the early signing period, but all the, all the dynamics at play, the 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 glut of bowls and figuring out recruiting. Because remember, early signing day was supposed to be a positive, right? It was not supposed to make the rich get richer. It was supposed to alleviate some of the stress off of the kids and off of the coaches. And all. it's going to be a disaster. Tennessee is going to be a case study for all this. Yes. <laughs> All right, Bill. Well, on that fine note, um, hopefully I will uh, I will see a fantastic football game. Um, in Happy Valley, hopefully you will, you know, you're going to watch, you're going to watch uh, Idaho and Missouri. I'm going to tailgate. I'm going to be drinking High West Double Rye at 8.30 a.m. My man. Lovely. All right. I'll see you next that, week. Now, by the way, probably my favorite rye. It is not the most expensive rye, although I guess High West was sold. And so at any moment, they're going to jack everything up $20 a bottle. Uh it's tremendous. It is a good ride, and you can get it for under $40. There's my pitch. I agree. Somebody asked us about Blade Runner 2049. Go see it. I'll see you on Sunday, Bill. Yep.